2: This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Uh, we're happy to bring you another episode of Straight Out of South Florida with three very intriguing interviews that our friends Omar Mubayat and Lee Fans were able to conduct over the the, the last few days. Uh, Omar, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, my friend. How are you doing? Not too shabby. Not too shabby, all things considered. Uh, Lee, how about you? How you doing, buddy?
1: Yes, I'm doing good. Um, little little bit of Bundesliga at the weekend. Been keeping up with the K League as well, but I'm happy to see uh, American teams get back into a little bit of training and uh, some football, some soccer on the horizon for us too. But I'm good.
2: It does seem like the wheels are kind of turning back into motion, which is a good thing to see. In here, you should look, you know, around the world. A number of leagues are either back playing or have set out firm terms of when they will be coming back. And in the United States, there have been uh, also kind of firm dates as to when we can expect MLS, USL, and other leagues to return. And we'll talk more about that later in the week. Uh, But we do want to focus on these interviews, these three uh, very good, interesting interviews that we have available. Uh, Omar, I believe we're starting with you. Uh, You were able to sit down with a a local figure that I think had a lot interesting to say about the experience of playing in South Florida. Yeah, my numbers sake, man. If anybody knows my Twitter account, buy at eleven,
3: always worn eleven from uh, the early days, following the Ken Dorsey trend. Really, that that's that's <laughs> actually the truth behind it, right? But another number eleven, uh, the Colorado Rapids man, and a fixture now, a, a new fixture on the United States men's national team, Jonathan Lewis. You know, even though he wasn't born here, he's definitely South Florida bred, and uh, he is just an, a very, very, very kind guy. Um, You know, definitely knows the game inside and out. And he just definitely opened up in this conversation to show, you know, not only his roots in South Florida, but as well as how it helped him move to the game beyond. And I think without any further ado, we should just turn it over to John Lewis. We have with us Jonathan Lewis, member of the U.S. Men's National Team, and he's going to be a feature player on the U.S. Men's U- U23 team when we qualify for the Olympic Tournament huh? next year, hopefully, if we can get the qualification in Corona past us. Jonathan, man, thank you for coming on to Magic City Soccer. How are you doing?
4: Good, just staying safe. You know, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So I'm just going with the motions right now. So trying to pass the time, doing little things to pass the time. So hopefully everybody's staying safe and hopefully everything, everything opens up soon
3: absolutely man absolutely we're all doing the same thing just trying not to spend too much time in front of the xbox or the playstation and <laughs> trying to stay away from the refrigerator
0: yeah. <laughs> ah
3: man there you go i've got my my system to the left and i'm like oh i gotta stop playing call of duty i got stuff to do <laughs> <That's it. laughs> we're gonna take you way back and for those of you guys who don't know jonathan lewis he's a hometown kid man even though you were born in atlanta georgia you found your way down to south florida out of plantation florida right in broward county what brought your family to South Florida or have there always been local ties within your family to the area?
4: Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I think my mom and dad just, <laughs> just liked it here. You know, my family's uh, from multicultural. You know, my mom's background, she's half British, half, Tr- Tr- how do you say, Trinadian, from Trinidad, I guess. Dad's full Jamaican, you know what I mean? So we just moved around a lot, but we actually, I was born in Georgia, moved to California and spent few years there spent a few years in Jamaica but we made our way to South Florida and that's when I really like established myself my family went to school in South Florida middle school high school some elementary school so we just found our way there my my dad got a teaching job down there my mom had got a job down there so we just loved it and we just always stayed in Broward County It was like it felt like a real home to us
3: now you're in Colorado if you call mom and dad for a care package what are you putting in it what's a South Florida staple that you need to have in your house and you're like yo I need this now
4: That's a hard one. Uh, first things first, I'm telling you right now, public subs, <laughs> best subs I've ever had. So need, well to, have, done. need to have a public sub. Uh, and then I have to have my dad's home cooked meals. I mean, like I love obviously Jamaican food, my dad being Jamaican. So he cooks a, my favorite dish, it's called stew peas. It's basically stew with rice and peas, a little salty, but it's great, my favorite dish. So anytime they come up here, I have to have my dad cook it, wrap it, bring some, a pub sub, Can, can't go wrong with that. You know, so that's the local stuff I
3: like, of course. You grew up in plantation, as we mentioned, right? And what was the local soccer scene as you were growing up? Uh, you were kind of luckily in that age group where the bigger clubs were starting to put these smaller academies or even giving out licenses to smaller academies. And you were seeing them pop up really in almost every public park where maybe guys who are just a few years older than you didn't have that luxury where you had to go to one of the main, you know, the West Ends or the Kendall's, right, to, in order to have a full growth academy, if you will.
4: Yeah, so obviously I started my career playing soccer. I played recreational soccer for the PAL Soccer League. And then I transitioned to Plantation Eagles. Uh, one of the coaches there saw me playing in rec soccer. So I was able to make my way to Plantation Eagles. And pretty much I just stayed in Plantation Eagles until I was about 16, 17. So over the course there, I had three coaches I would say definitely were influential for my development. Everyone in that program, but uh, Jimmy Sauter, Johnny Ramos, as everybody knows, Johnny Ramos, and Anish Jerby those are the three guys, you know, they definitely were very influential in my development, but not just the coaching side, you know, I think we had a really connected family over there, you know, I think a lot of people were from similar backgrounds, my family, you know, Caribbean based, but just everyone in the club, everyone in our team, we were very, very solid unit there. So I think that helped influence my development as a player, and my growth, and that that belief that, you know, we were a small club, Plantation Eagles, I mean, people know the Eagles, but we're a small club, we're not those teams that excel for greatness. And I definitely think like, you know, my age group and the age group below us, we pushed that limit, you know, we had playing region R3PL, uh, National Premier League, and all that stuff. Going, You know, we were producing players that, you know, Plantation, I guess we could say, never would have thought they could have produced. So I think, you know, that's where it all started. And I know that you were saying about the academy system. So when I turned about 16, 17, that's when it started to become big. So there was Kendall Academy, the Boca Academy, Weston Academy, and obviously that there was an opportunity that, you know, like if I really wanted to pursue a college opportunity to go to a big school, I needed to go to the academy. And obviously our coaches at Plantation with Johnny and Denise, they went over to Kendall. So they were able to bring us all over. And a few of us made that transition to the academy and it, it worked out well. And we, we built a really good thing over there in Kendall. and we were, we were competing. We were one of the best 15 teams in the country in the whole academy league.
3: When you grow up and you look at the difference, to me, there's a stark difference between the Broward culture of soccer and the Miami Dade culture of soccer. And more along that, just because of the demographics of the two different counties, when you were playing in those rec league scenarios and you were playing teams from North Miami or from Kendall and from Broward, did you see a, a, a difference in the style of play and the level of play between the two areas?
4: I definitely would say, you know, I would definitely think, like, especially when I went to Kendall, like, one of the things I realized is that, you know, obviously in the Miami-Dade area, there's a lot of Hispanics that love, like, love football, they're all into it, you know, the Colombians, Argentinians, the Mexicans, the Cubans, all all the different cultures, you know, so definitely if you watch European soccer, you see all the Hispanic teams, like, in La Liga, they love to play the tiki-taka play, you know, versus in Broward, it's a... It's a different game because there's a lot of Caribbeans, you know, very fast, athletic players, you know, like so very similar to I would say maybe like the English Premier League or the Bundesliga. So I definitely there was definitely a big change in the type of players I went from playing with Plantation to the players I played with in Kendall. But I think that's what made our Kendall team good because you brought some of the Broward kids, mixed it with the Dade kids, and we had a very unique team where we could play possession soccer. But then when we needed to get out and run, we could do that.
3: Is that the key for the reason why South Florida has exploded to become such a professional footballer? hotbed in a sense if you look at it you're getting talent coming in from all these places around the world and it's such a melting pot that all of a sudden if you just open up any club's roster there's going to be a guy from with South Florida ties
4: yeah no 100% I mean I mean just the South Florida in general, you know, everybody talks about how it's a big football state, obviously, at like football produced NFL players, but people don't realize how many soccer players come through because obviously the mixed cultures, you know, so not just myself, but there's Alejandro Badoy who just grew up down the road in Weston, Josie Altador who grew up around Boynton Beach, Boca area, Fafa Picot who lived in Miami, there's a lot of players who are, you know, and that's just three guys to name that have US national team ties, you know, and then you can just keep going down the list with IMG Academy up the road in uh, North Florida, obviously, like, you know, South Florida has become a hotbed for producing a lot of very, very good talent. I think that now with Inter Miami being along, I think that's what needed to happen. Like maybe in my days when I was playing or even just before that is that we needed a solid foundation that could really produce players to get to the next level. And I think that's one of the big things that I see coming out of South Florida. There are so many talented players that I played with that, they maybe didn't have the right opportunities to get to go pro. Like, you know, I was able to, fortunate enough, I had some people that had connections, you know, but I think that was the big thing for me is that there's so much talent in South Florida, so many players that could play at the next level, but it's about that foundation. And now with Inter Miami, there having a pathway to the pro. I, I'm, South Florida soccer is going to explode now. It's going to become the big, you know, Dallas, FC Dallas produces so many homegrown players and very talented players, but I think South Florida is going to become the best now.
3: When we go back to a day in the life of high school, right, you're telling me that you moved from Plantation, right, you went to South Plantation High School, you moved from the Plantation Academy, and now you're going down to Kendall. That's a 45-minute drive, probably from your high school to playing your club soccer. What was a day in your life like back then, if you can go back and remember it?
4: So definitely, obviously, going to South Plantation High School, I was going to school in Broward trying to play for a day team, so it was difficult, but... I think that was one of the big things, you know, and that's when I talk about that camar- camaraderie that we had as our plantation family, like when we all went over there. And, you know, we were able to organize like, all right, who's going to do the carpooling? Who's going to be the one who's going to carpool? Who's going to where are we all going to meet in one area so we can drive every day together? And we always did everything together for game days and everything. So we, we had one player on our team named Ken. He went to American Heritage, but he got out of school a little bit earlier. So he came and picked up myself, another player, Nicholas Hines, another player, Danny Gagliardi. Those two are also playing professionally right now one's at inter miami the other one's at the sounders uh but we were able to just figure out those carpooling situations and then when our team grew to like eight nine broward kids we had two cars so we always met at central park uh, or my house because my house was like right across the street from central park <laughs> and that's how we, we were able to meet everybody met at one place at a certain time and it's if you're there you're there and if you're not we're gone but we we were able to figure that type of stuff out and then obviously our parents all being really close because we all played on the same team for years you know we were able, it was so easy to just adapt that and being able to decide like, who's going to drive this day, where are we going to meet all that stuff. So it made it, it was easy. Obviously we we were fighting for time. You know, I got to school at three o'clock hour drive. We're starting training at five o'clock. You know, if someone's running like late. I know Nick went to St. Thomas. I think he got out at like (laughs) 3.30. Definitely, there were some some time jams, you know, and obviously our coaches know us and they didn't want to show favoritism. But so obviously, if we show up a little late to practice, they were getting on us, but they knew that we were trying to make this effort because we wanted to better our career.
3: Speaking of Nick Hines, you end up partnering up with him and then you guys both leave home and head over to Akron, right? To play your freshman year of soccer. What's that experience leaving home? I know for you, it wasn't the first time because you went overseas on a trial. We know that. Right. Yeah. But when now when you're living in a situation where you are now thousands of miles away from home in a climate not like the one you're used to, right? Much colder up in Ohio, what is that transition like? What 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 keeps you grounded enough to know that hey, like this is what we're gonna do, this is how we're gonna push through it.
4: I think this that we me and him, especially, you know, growing up with him, he's like he's a really good friend of mine, you know, like a brother to me. All of them are like brothers, but we've all set out individual goals that you know, and everybody knows that from when they known me, like, I always wanted to play professional. That was my dream, that's what I wanted to work to. And we both sat down and said, what's going to be our best opportunity when we go to college to potentially get to the next level? And we knew, you know, obviously he was committed at North Carolina. I ended up committing to Akron. And I, I know that my coaches were very interested in him. And I just, I said to him, I said, look, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think you would be a great fit. We can play together. We're going to be comfortable together. And sometimes they say that you have to get out of your comfort zone to achieve success. But sometimes you can get out of your comfort zone with someone else and be able to achieve success as well. And we were able to take that step together. And I think that really helped us, obviously, playing with someone that we knew. We weren't even supposed to be necessarily starters right away, but we ended up working together. We know we went through some tough times at the start of the year, but because I had him, he had me, we worked together, we pushed through it, and we were able to have a successful season at Akron.
3: When you look at, and we're rewinding a little bit, when you look at the hotbed of South Florida, Let's say we took the game and we descaled it from a national level and now we start putting in like little regional areas left and right. Would a South Florida starting 11? Would a South Florida national team, quote unquote, compete with everybody else in at least North America? Let's not say the world. I'm not going to get crazy, right? But like we're looking at North America. Is South Florida taking the cake here?
4: It's a hard one. I mean, so if we go way, way, way back, I mean... I mean, we have so obviously. I would say myself. There's Fafa Picot, Josie Altidor, being one of the best strikers America's ever seen. Uh, you know, Alejandro Bedoy, These are successful players. Then you talk about my agent right now, Corey Gibbs, is one of the best left backs to ever play for the U.S. You know, I mean, that's that's a very talented player. Is Eddie Johnson
0: from South Florida?
4: I know he's from know Florida. Is he from? I know South-
0: he's from Florida. I think
3: he's from the Tampa area, but I could be wrong.
4: Ah. Ah, who else is there that plays? It's from South Florida. I mean, obviously, like there's some younger guys right now. Like I said, myself, there's Nick Hines.
3: I went to high school with an El Salvadorian national team member, Pablo Puniet And me. him and I went to high school together. His brother plays for the Nicaraguan national team, too. So when you start looking at the CONCACAF rosters, right, and you look down the list and you see Miami, Florida, Miami, Florida, 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 you know, it's like West Palm Beach. You're like, wait a second. Like, this is a really good mix here.
4: Yeah, I just know, obviously, uh, some of the older guys, that I, oh, I forgot, Nico Hamaline, he's from yep. California, plays at QPR right now, you know, very, very talented player. Um, I, I think we'd have a good chance. I mean, there's some other states that produce some really good players. I mean, California, for example. I mean, a lot of the guys I play with on the national team right now hail from California and very, very good players. Uh, I know Texas has some of the best players in, in American soccer right now. If we're just talking about America, we start there, you know, I mean, if we're talking about the young talent that comes through Weston McKinney. This kid is Killing in the Bundesliga right now. I mean, that's a Texas kid, Kellen Acosta, who I play with at Colorado Rapids. You know, this was, he was destined potentially for the Premier League. So, Texas, obviously, they, I would say right now, they're at the forefront of youth development. But again, they've had the FC Dallas Academy, the Houston Dynamo, they've had academy systems set up for, they were one of the first original academies, you know, Inter Miami. Our academies have only really been around for what, six years? So, you start to now take what we had and now expand on it. You know, like I said, the South Florida kids, it's, I think there's going to be a big breakthrough in a lot of South Florida kids right now. And they have great coaches down there, even at Inter Miami. You know, Jason Christ is my under 23 coach, but this is a guy, again, coaching the MLS. He knows how to groom youth talent. He started that trend at Salt Lake about playing the youth talent. And now, you know, obviously he's not coaching there anymore, but some of those young kids who now I play with in the national team, playing week in, week out at Salt at Real Salt Lake, that's who he started at. Now Inter Miami is lucky to have him.
3: Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. We're going to let you go. Uh, We really appreciate your time and joining us on the show. When things get back to normal, man, bring home that gold medal, get us back into the Olympic tournament, bring it home to South Florida. We'll have a ticker tape parade down this game.
4: (laughs) Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Not a problem, John. Have a great day. You too. One of the interesting takeaways, Matt, um, is kind of that differentiation where John Lewis is breaking down, you know, the, the difference in play between, you know, across the county lines, if you will, right? Just how different the Broward County game is to the Miami-Dade County game is. And I, when I was asking him that question, I kind of thought about that because when you look at the demographics of the two counties, they're completely different. They're completely different. You know, they are they're almost, you know, neighboring countries, if you really think about it. And it was just his takeaway about how the games are different were just so fantastic. What did you think about it?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's – I think the two points he made, one being why this is such a kind of hotbed for player development because you have to be a bit of a Swiss Army knife. If you aren't able to adapt different styles of play, you die. And two, I think the idea of understanding why this Dade Broward – uh, rivalry or, or, or comparison exists, I think that's a big part of it because the way that people watch, consume, play, coach is all guided by these different viewpoints that come from different, I mean, different confederations. For, for, you know, If you're looking at, say, uh, a greater South American influence in one region of South Florida versus a greater Central and Caribbean influence in South Florida, those are literally different federations guiding the game you know setting rules for coaching standards and and best practices and things like that so those those differences really do manifest themselves and it is really a a case of evolve or die
3: and lee have you noticed that a lot of the common element in between most of these players that we've interviewed over the last couple weeks has been you know that kendall uh infrastructure
1: yeah definitely and i think you know, when you go down to Kendall, you go down to Kendall Soccer Park, it, it is a huge part of uh, of town, really. When we take Miami as the, you know, from the steed to the Everglades, there's a, I think people in Kendall would say, I'm from Kendall. But, um, you know, in the Miami soccer scene, that's, you know, it's a big thing down there. And um, I don't know. I, 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 I like it, the fact there's a little contrast of styles and that around here, at least people these kids are getting exposed to playing in different ways, different opponents at a young age. So that's a good thing. Um, he's a great guy, Jonathan Lewis, and to give him the time to chat to us as well. Um, and when you look at his record, like he's, he's played now for like a good five years, like playing first team football and everything, playing for the U S national team as well. It's just a shame. He's a left winger and the best player in in the U S uh, men's national team right now <laughs> is a uh, left winger. It's uh, Christian Christian, yeah. isn't it? So, uh, no, but it's, it's, it's always fascinating for me to find out about how these players get started and everything. And like you say, Omar, you know, Plantation FC, Kendall SC, all those academies like Western, you know, they, they know what they're doing with identifying and developing talent for sure.
3: Speaking of another local group that identifies talent and develop it and develops it, FC Surge. Actually, the uh, the grassroots effort of our next guest, Lee, who did we, or did we, what was that? Who did you interview? Uh, and tell us a little bit about the next player coming up on this episode. I,
1: yeah, I, um, I did a little bit of digging, and there is two players in the NWSL with a local link, and we've already spoken to Mandy Freeman, who plays for Sky Blue FC, and the other one is a lady called Bridget Callahan, who plays for Orlando Pride. Um, now... It's very, very difficult for me to get behind an Orlando team, but um, we had a good <laughs> chat with Bridget, and uh, she turned me into a little bit of a, a little bit of a pride fan, lacking the being uh, you know, a local NWSL team. But you're right, Omar. To bring it back around to FC Surge. They have got a conveyor belt of players who have come through, and gone on to do other things, and uh, we have established that they provide a very, very um, important stepping stone. Uh, for ladies in South Florida who want to take uh, soccer a little bit further. So um, if I can introduce it, let's hear from Bridget. Okay, and now we have Bridget Callaghan, midfielder for Orlando Pride, formerly of FC Surge. But currently, like the rest of us in lockdown, uh, Bridget, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well today, you know, just in lockdown like everybody else, like you just said. But, you know, staying positive and just hanging out. Really, that's it. <laughs> Here in Orlando, enjoying my time. Can't complain.
1: I saw, I saw on Twitter today, there were some images of training for Orlando Pride. Was, were you training today or was that just probably photos from another time?
0: No, I actually, we started um, training this week. So we've been doing individual trainings, Monday through Friday, Wednesdays are off. So Monday, Tuesday, and today I've had training in the morning in my own little quadrant, individual training out at our facilities, so.
1: What's it like to get back onto some form of soccer field and kick a ball around?
0: Oh my gosh, I (laughs) cannot tell you how good it feels. Um, Just having structure, number one, back in your life is really great. I feel like I was doing a whole lot of nothing and, you know, just driving myself a bit and saying, I really need structure in my life. I've always been that way or I make bad decisions. (laughs) Um, But secondly, I mean, just playing and touching a ball again feels really nice and just getting back into it slowly but surely is good and just getting your fitness back is nice.
1: So for people who don't know, Bridget, originally from Hollywood in Florida, in South Florida, there is a Hollywood in south florida i believe it is actually the original one in america
0: it's the best hollywood
1: <laughs> it's the best hollywood you can't miss it if you're ever in south florida they, when you go down the interstate you know you're in hollywood because there's a water tower and it has welcome to hollywood written on the side
0: yeah
1: so talk to me about the early years bridget um how did you get into the sport
0: so i've actually been asked this question quite a few times during this quarantine like how how do you get into it and honestly Hats off to my mom. She just threw me into it when I was four. Of course, like I feel like a lot of parents did with their kids, throw them into soccer, see how it goes. Um, It kind of just stuck with me. I just continued to play. I really enjoyed it. Um, I really made some really good friends through it And on my teams. I never had a bad experience with my coaches. I feel like I was good at it. So, yeah. I
1: think you're a bit modest because there's being good at it. And then I'm reading this off Wikipedia. All kinds of like MVP awards and everything. Uh, Miami Herald all county first team and Sun Sentinel team MVP so not one but two South Florida publications had already picked Bridget Callahan out at an early age <laughs> <laughs> and then you went into uh, the Western FC's academy is that right
0: yes Western FC that's where I played club
1: how was that for you i mean going from high school going into an academy was the experience good did you sort of did people tell you that hey you're a little bit better than the rest of the kids or anything like that how how does that work
0: well, I had a really talented team around me. A bunch of my teammates, you know, went Division One, and then now we have one who's playing professionally, I believe. Two professionally. Um, so I, I really just had a really good club team around me. I had a really good experience. I had a really good coach. Um, his name was Carlos Parra. And he, you know, was in the MLS at some point, so he was really smart when it came to soccer. Had a high soccer IQ. Yeah, I was just surrounded by really good players, so I think that made me better.
1: When you were sort of growing up and you were a kid, were you sort of aware of like the women's national team or anything like that? When you started to get interested in the sport, was that a little sort of spur for you to see women playing at such a high level
0: and thinking, I can do that? I took things practice by practice, game by game. I really didn't look too far into the future. I really just enjoyed the moment because I really have so much fun while I'm playing the game because it is just my fun, really. It's, I forget all problems and when I'm out there, I know that's so cliche to say, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess... You know, in my latter years of college, that's when I started thinking about playing professionally. And of course, I would look up to all these U.S. national team players, how good they were, watch their game, and of course, I aspired to be that way and just be that good. Because you know, of course, everybody wants to be that good at you know what they're pursuing. So, yeah, I mean, in the latter years, that's when I started thinking about professional soccer. I didn't think it would happen. I didn't really know I was going to happen. You know, at the end of my senior year, I just, I feel every senior feels that way. Um, but yeah, it just kind of ended up falling into my hands and I took the opportunity and I ran with it. So.
1: And um, you like to play in midfield now. There's a bunch of different ways that you can play in midfield. Uh, I've seen a few clips on YouTube, but how would you describe yourself as a player?
0: A lot of people just call me scrappy. So I, I feel like <laughs> I have good technical balance. My physical features, I'm small, I'm 5'4". I feel like I'm quick but not the fastest speed wise yeah I just feel like I got to scrap my way through things and I'm good with my feet so I feel like that's how I would describe myself as a player
1: scrappy is a definition you would know but I did see a lovely little sort of flick on YouTube where you flick it over the player and it's CEO and then you're off running down the field we've got to talk about FC Surge because that's the local women's club team here in Miami how long did you play for FC Surge for?
0: So I actually played for FC Surge. I could botch this because, you know, I was in college. don't really remember what summers I was home, but I think it was going into my junior year. So it was like 2015, 2016. 2017 so i played with them for three years i'm almost sure and it was like summer ball so it was a really good time my club teammates who i was talking about previously they came home for summer too and we all got to play together again even with other players that i used to play club against i played with a bunch of experienced players and players who'd been with fc surge and i learned a lot from them as well as like a different coach instead of my college coach that was coaching me So that was good to get insight from a new voice. But I don't have one complaint about FC Surge. I really had a good time. Met some great girls. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, what they do obviously has great value because a lot of the ladies I speak to, they've all gone through FC Surge at some point. So I think Marge Perry and Coach Ramiro are doing something good there.
0: Yeah, I completely agree.
1: Currently, you're playing for Orlando Pride. Now, I've mentioned the national team already, but this roster is like, You're playing with some of the best women's players in the world here, aren't you, Bridget? Yes. I mean, Sydney LaRue, Marta, Alex Morgan, Ali Krieger, um, Ashlyn Harris. I mean, it's kind of a who's who. What's it like being around those players on a day-to-day basis?
0: There's two parts of it. You know, playing-wise... I'm playing with the best players in the world and I get to hear their tips of being a better player every single day um, on and off the field. And, you know, they, they better me tactically, technically, physically, they make me want to be better and they're off the field. I mean, they're great people as well. So that's the other side of things, which is what I value more um, than them being great players. So just have great character, great people. They all have different lives of course. So Sid's a mom, whereas Allie and Ash just got married and then Marta is, being crazy, that's Marta, and just, they're really good people too, so I very much value what they have to say as well.
1: You were signed initially, and correct me if I'm wrong, as a um, national team replacement player, so for people who aren't really familiar with the NWSL, what's that exactly?
0: That is, I was still a senior in college, and then there were some tournaments going on. I think there were some qualifiers for the World Cup, and just, we have a lot of international players, and that means when the international players go away, they get to sign, since the roster was already full, they can bring on a temporary contract um, in lieu of the international player that isn't there, and they signed me for, like, you know, different periods of time, and I was getting paid like a normal contracted player, so... That's what it was. It wasn't a full contract. So it was a temporary contract. But still, I mean, very grateful for that year. And just, I learned a lot and just how to be a better athlete. And I was a better soccer player. And professionally, I learned that I needed to behave more because I was just coming out of college. So it was a good growing experience.
1: <laughs> well, you must have done something right because obviously you got a contract and you were added to the senior squad. How hard was it to force yourself into that squad?
0: Definitely very hard, of course, you know, coming from college and just the competitive level, going into, you know, playing with the best of the best, like we talked about, it was extremely hard. I mean, I went from the top of the totem pole to the bottom of the totem pole. So confidence was obviously affected. Uh, I couldn't be myself, which I love being in the locker room. So just off the field confidence was affected. So it was definitely really tough. But the girls were great. I mean, I tried to connect with them off the field, because that promotes, obviously, a better connection on the field. So, you know, I really worked hard. And just things, again, just happened. So I took advantage of the opportunity. And just, yeah, fortunately, I got offered a contract for last year. And now here I am.
1: When the new coach came in, Mark Skinner, the coach, what did he bring into the the club? Was there, you know, a few changes or did he talk to you and say, hey, you know, work hard and, you know, there might be an opportunity for you? What's it like when a new coach comes in? (laughs)
0: Yeah, so I think Mark really is a very empathetic person and before he wants to be your coach he wants to know you as a person as well so just creating that connection with him really helped in the coaching aspect when it comes to coaching he just really brought because he came from Birmingham City he just really brought you know that style of play so a very possession-based style of play players can go really initially wherever they want on the field just as long as we keep the ball and you know score goals we definitely struggled last year and I think he was struggling with the fact that we were struggling. But again, he had to come into a team that didn't really have great culture. So he's a great guy, great coach. I think one of the best coach I've ever had. He's very intelligent. He had to retrain a whole group of girls that were under a different system. And I think it was very tough for him. But, you know, I think he's got it under wraps now. So
1: um, Actually, when I was researching players from South Florida in the NWSL, I was very surprised to find there was only two of you yourself and uh, Mandy Freeman, who plays up for Sky Blue FC. Yeah. That was very, very surprising to me. You mean considering the soccer culture in South Florida and the opportunities to play, why do you think we only have two professional players in the top division? In the USA?
0: That's a tough question. I'm shocked by that fact as well. I mean, I just learned that from you right now. <laughs> I don't know because the talent in South Florida is very, very good in terms of women's soccer. The girls that I played with were really good. The girls in my age group that I played against as well from South Florida were very good. I don't know, maybe because the league is so small. There's only nine teams. Really, the draft is only 40 picks. And realistically, I'm going to say like, of those girls get signed full on from, you know, getting drafted. And then there's like a lot of veterans in the league, you know, that haven't hung up the boots yet. And they're still essentially looking towards their prime, going into their 30s of soccer. So I don't really know because the talent is really good. So I'm actually like kind of taken back by that fact.
1: What I found as well is um, obviously the game is growing in Europe a little bit. And uh, the recent year of FC Surge couple of players have gone to play in Europe. I think, I think there's three or four that have gone to play in Europe. Uh, yeah. if, you chance, if the chance came up for you to play a bit in Europe, would you take it?
0: I actually think I would. I mean, I've been in Orlando now for six years. I love Orlando. Like I've grown immensely as a person and as a player here. So it has a really special place in my heart. And this is where I went to school, of course. But if the opportunity to present it Itself to play in Europe. I think I would definitely go. I mean, new experiences are always great and I'm definitely open to them and, you know, different styles of play and just travel, of course, and just different cultures is something that really interests me. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I would say no.
1: There's um, a lot of the big teams there. I have women's sides now. Is there a team you support over there or follow over there that you might like to play for the women's team?
0: I am a West Ham supporter for my girl who I grew up with. Martha Thomas. She is actually from South Florida as well. Born in England, but moved to South Florida, played for Weston with me. Then went to Charlotte for four years, University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Then she went and played for a team in France in the the second league there. And now she plays for West Ham. And so I am a supporter of West Ham.
1: (laughs) That's incredible. I mean... I always get like the Barcelonas and what have you of the world. So to hear West Ham is actually quite a little bit refreshing.
0: Yeah, here I am.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because the game is growing in England. The women's game is growing. The attendance is for some of the games. I think Manchester United, Liverpool played the game and there's a big attendance. Yeah. Orlando Pride, of course, you know, you get, you get decent crowds up there as well. What's it like playing in front of a few thousand people?
0: it's fun I mean sometimes I'm like wow I wish I was in those stands with you guys you guys are looking like you're having a blast (laughs) (laughs) but no it's definitely cool it's a different experience it's super thrilling for sure um never played in front of you know a certain amount of people it doesn't really look like many people though because like our stadium's so big and we don't really get that many fans compared to like the men's side seeing the men's side games but no I mean it's really cool
1: So moving away from soccer a little bit, living in Orlando, theme parks, what's your favorite?
0: <laughs> I'm going to say Epcot. I'm going to go with Epcot. Now that I'm of age, I can drink around the world, have <laughs> myself a good time. But growing up, you know, living in Hollywood and coming up to Orlando for tournaments and just for vacation, I would definitely say Islands of Adventure. Very good time.
1: Yeah, I love Epcot as well. Um, did, you, did you actually go up to Orlando a lot when you were playing, you know, youth soccer? Because I know there's a big sort of like, festival of soccer scene up there uh, worldwide of sports that sort of thing
0: every new year's we had a tournament so we were at the wide world of sports it's like the disney showcase where just colleges come out and just recruit so we were always there and it was close to home so it was super convenient which was nice because we would just have to get a hotel and just drive up no flying that's the only time i was ever in orlando and then you know state Cup in Auburndale which is like an hour I don't know what direction because it's in literally the middle of nowhere Auburndale so came up there a couple times for state cup Well,
1: I hope at some point we get a Miami NWS outside and then we can can get a little Orlando Miami uh, rivalry going I hope that happens at some point
0: that would be sick That would be so sweet.
1: Yeah, I kind of think it should be like a South Florida team. Instead of calling it like a Miami or a Fort Lauderdale, you know, put it somewhere and, you know, call it a South Florida team and let everyone get behind it.
0: Put it in Hollywood.
1: (laughs) Exactly. We can just call it Hollywood FC. Um, Bridget, thank you very much for your time. We'll keep an eye out when uh, the NWSL restarts. And yeah, it's been a pleasure to chat to you.
0: Absolutely.
1: I want to go back and watch that little flick on YouTube again. That was great. I've been trying <laughs> to copy that in my in my in my living room with my dog, just like trying to flick the ball over her head and everything. Yeah. That's
0: funny. You don't hurt yourself. I almost hurt myself doing that. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I didn't know I had it in my locker. I was like, what?
1: I hurt myself five times a day. The banging into things is fine.
0: (laughs) I get it. My mom does that too. You're not alone. (laughs) Appreciate
1: it. Thank you. You're a star. Uh, We look forward to following your career more closely. Uh, Take care of, of doing Orlando. Stay safe. Stay healthy.
0: Of course. Thank you, sir. Stay safe.
3: Thank you from the bottom of our hearts to Bridget Callahan. And, and one of the biggest takeaways that I got away from that interview, Lee, was the fact that when you look at the people she's played with, basically half of the U S uh, women's national team <laughs> and some other key future, uh, not shouldn't say future key, you know, national team members from across the world, whether it's Keller Emsley, the Scottish national or Marta, the Brazilian national, how they drive to make her better. And also how good they are of people off the pitch which is something that you don't really get to know unless you talk to the people around them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so important for players who are developing to be around established players. And uh, the interview we have coming after this one, that, that point gets brought up again. Um, Bridget's got a great head on her shoulders and I keep using that cliche, but maybe I've just been li- lucky to find like the local footballers who, you know, I guess you've got to have that drive and that sensibility to get somewhere in the game. And she'll be taking on all that information, like you said, Omar. the list of names is like astounding, and you know maybe there's a little chance for her now because now we know that the NWSL is coming back with this, you know, shootout, so to speak, in uh, Utah, right? Utah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you know that there's going to be games that are reasonably close together. They may be looking to the benches a little bit. I don't know what the substitute rules are, but um, that's going to be a great experience going away on a little camp with these established players um, and seeing what the Orlando Pride can do. I was surprised to see the odds, the bookmakers' odds for this uh, NWSL thing and Pride came bottom of it. (laughs) They were the the least favorites to to win this whole thing. But uh, when you look at the roster I'm like, maybe I'll have 50 books on this.
3: I mean, I I wouldn't hesitate in throwing a little bit of money because when you look at these tournaments and we'll get more in depth, especially with the resumption of soccer here, uh, in North America, in the United States, coming on later this week. But when you start looking at some of these tournaments, you start realizing that, th- you know, everything you knew about the games and the structures, they're all going out the window now because any of these teams can get hot out of nowhere and all of a sudden win a tournament. This is not, you know, something you have to now endure. And it's not a marathon, it, it's it's a semi sprint,
1: if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go yeah, I- ahead, Bob.
2: No, you go ahead, Lee. You first.
1: No, I was just going to say that it, the way that the competition is—if it's a—if it's you're going to win it outright, there's there's nine teams and eight of the teams make the playoffs, and you can understand why. But once you get into that playoffs, eight teams, you know, you're only like two games away from the final and three games away from winning the whole thing. So uh, I think momentum and preparation will be very, very important.
2: And, and I think having. Experience in those kind of high-pressure games will matter a lot, and that's why I think Orlando Pride, while their 2019 record wasn't uh, fantastic, I think you you look to in kind of those those crunch situations. Okay, can can you dig out two or three games, you know? And and yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised to see them make a run at all.
1: And like Bridget said, you know, they've got a, they've got a new coach, progressive, young coach from Europe. Um, and then if they need a scrappy midfielder to break the play up, then they'll look to the bench for, uh, for Bridget, as she says herself. That's the sort of player she is.
3: I wouldn't even doubt, based on the success of this Challenge Cup, if we see now a second version of it before the year is over. Because if you really look at the way the games are spread out, you know, maybe every game, every team's going to get, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's two or three games. I could be mistaken. But, you know, when you start looking at the way the, the games are spread out, you could see teams clamoring for yet another cup and then maybe moving. Mm-hmm. It. And instead of this time in Utah, we can play it in Portland or we can play it in another U S city that has the infrastructure to, you know, house all of these teams and give them the facilities they need to, to, to make this platform really work. Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and move on now to our final guest. Lee was able to interview a local legend, if you will, of a, of a very of a youth variety who broke our hearts and, and also lifted them in the U.S. Open Cup in 2019. Lee, who's our next guest?
1: Our next guest is the one and the only Valentin Sabella, formerly of the Florida Soccer Soldiers, Argentinian, moved to Miami. Learn his is trading the game here. And then we all remember the Soccer Soldiers Cup run in 2019, where they knocked out, including teams like Miami FC um, and, of course, uh, the Charlotte Independents, uh, who uh, he is now playing for. Um, we followed him right from the qualifying rounds of that, the, the 2019 qualifying tournament. Um, I had a chat with him before, so it was nice for me to have a chat with someone I'd spoken to before, like a year ago, and, and sort of catch up on his story, because it's a really good story, too um let's talk to valentin yes i'm here with um valentin sabella formerly of the florida soccer soldiers now of uh, charlotte independence um valentin how are you doing today
5: doing good doing good uh just trained this morning so now the rest of the day off
1: So you're up in Charlotte and you're back in training. That's good to hear. So how is the training? Are you having to train in a socially distant way or is it in small groups? How does that work at the moment?
5: So we're following the regulations or the protocols uh, sent out by the USL. So it's in groups, I think a maximum of four. And we don't really interact with each other. But you can, you obviously do train in that group of four. So you pass the ball and stuff like that.
1: It must be nice to get a ball back out and get out onto uh, some turf, right?
5: Yeah, for sure. I'm living in an apartment, so I try, it, but it's not the same as going around and being with your teammates, you know, and being able to pass around and mess around. So definitely miss that.
1: And did you stay up in Charlotte the whole time? I mean, I guess you know we weren't supposed to travel, so did you come back to Miami at all, or did you have you been locked down in Charlotte this whole time?
5: I was considering going back to Miami for a bit, especially when it all started because uh, things were suspended. You know, everything was kind of like closed at first. But I've basically been in Charlotte. The whole time
1: you used to play for the Florida Soccer Soldiers, which is a UPSL team down here in uh, in Miami in South Florida. You were born in Argentina, right, Valentin, and then moved here. Is that right? Yeah, I moved in two thousand six. So, um, when you came to Miami, so you would have been like school age. How did you find playing over here as opposed to playing back in Argentina? In
5: Argentina, I did get to play, but never at a you know competitive level. It was kind of like. Still recreational at that age, for me at least. So I did go on trial, one star Argentina in 2016 to River Plate. And I did notice a big difference uh, in terms of level of play and intensity between the United States and Argentina for sure.
1: And then when you came to Miami, you were here for a little bit and then it ended up with the Florida Soccer Soldiers. How important was having a club like Florida Soccer Soldiers here for your development and moving on to the pro game?
5: So it was key for me because I was finishing high school. The one college I did want to go to did not offer me a spot on the team. Thank God, because, you know, I ended up working out. But Soldiers was just key just because in terms of like the coach and then the players that I was able to interact with, which were ex-pros, but they weren't guys that were in their 40s. You know, these are guys that were in their early 30s, late 20s. Maybe they just couldn't find a contract or wanted to find a better living situation in Miami compared to their country. So they ended up moving to the United States. So that, that really helped me, you know, because I was always, uh, I guess, taking tips from them. I was always asking questions, asking about their experiences, you know, hoping to someday be able to live that.
1: Yeah, because that was going to be my next question. Obviously, in Miami, we have a lot of, say, Venezuelans, Colombians and guys who played at a decent level, not just, you know, played a little bit, but who have played in Libertadores games, even had full international caps for uh, South American teams. Of course, with Florida Soccer Soldiers, you have someone like um, Antonioni Gonzalez, who's a very experienced player and you say... That must have really helped you. But the cup run, let's talk about that cup run. When you had that group of players in the US Open Cup, how good was that group of players? Because, you know, it wasn't household names, but I saw you play. It was a great team spirit. Is that important, that, like, chemistry, as they say, in FIFA, to playing well?
5: I think it's extremely key. I've always been part of such tight-knit groups. And I think that goes a long way at the end of the day because I think... I don't know, just the way you express yourself on the field, the way you defend a teammate, say, after a tackle, stuff like that, I think that goes a long way to, you know, set the tempo against another team. It'll make you go, I guess, the extra mile for a teammate, whereas maybe if you don't have such a good relationship, maybe you won't make as big
1: of an effort. Definitely, I can can totally imagine that. When you got into the competition, the U.S. Open Cup proper, and you got to play Miami FC, were you guys nervous going into that game at all? Or... With the experience you had, did you think that you had a chance in that game?
5: For me, it was all like new kind of thing. I guess my head was in the clouds at the time. Like I was just like, okay, this is awesome. You know, I I knew we were getting a crowd out. We were playing as the only pro team at the time in Miami. But I knew I had to follow the leader, the experienced guys, the leaders in the team. I don't think we had maybe the same resources as maybe some of the pro sides. So I think that made a big difference, obviously, because some of us started cramping up in games and the pro sides had, you know, still air to go and, could keep on going but yeah i think uh we were confident in our talent and in what we had built up until that point that we could you know beat miami and after miami that's when kind of like the cinderella story kind of started because that's when we were like all right we can we can really do this
1: yeah definitely and then you went into the game against um charlotte independence and you had a great game didn't it kind of been easy 120 minutes we actually had a little viewing party down here in the brewery in in miami and some of the guys because Florida Soccer Studios have an under-23s, so when the guys came out, it was great. When that sloppy back pass went in and you raced onto it, you have an idea in your head, Valentin, what you're going to do? The background here is Valentin scored a goal. It takes it half the field, rounds the keeper and taps it in. What goes through your head, Valentin, when that happens?
5: Just like when I got to show, that's the first thing they asked me, you know, uh, what went through your head at that moment? I went blank honestly you know like i don't know i never expected for the ball to be at my feet you know 118th minute one-on-one with the keeper you know but i wanted to keep it simple uh when it came to finishing i know that for a fact because i know sometimes you know when you overthink things even when it comes to a penalty you might just miss not because you didn't do it right just because you started thinking left right center you know Mm -hmm. so i mean i didn't really keep it that simple (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when it came to the goal, but uh, but it did work out. So I'm just glad that happened.
1: And I guess you say it's a Cinderella story, but then for Charlotte Independence to say, you know, we want you to come and play with us full time. Um, what, what did that feel like when that happened for you?
5: Even before I played for Soldiers, you know, I had uh, a lot of people come up to me, you know, in my childhood as well, my teenage years, you know, hey, come to, come to our club. We, we got trials for you in Europe, this and that, you know. And a lot of people, like, you don't believe them, you know. And a lot of people did prove to be, you know, fake people or they had fake, uh, I guess, they were creating false hopes for me. But then Charlotte, I remember because I think it was right after a game and that week coming up, I think I go to practice and that's when Godoy pulls me to the side and he told me that their their interest was real, you know. He wanted me to stay focused on the team. He asked me how I felt, stuff like that. But he helped me manage it because imagine me having never uh, been a professional and all of a sudden my dreams about to come true, you know. He didn't want me to lose my head when we still had things to take care of with soldiers. I was able to keep my cool, you know, but I was in the inside. I was just super ecstatic. You know, I was crazy.
1: And um, you've definitely taken a chance as well, Valentin. You haven't gone up there to warm the bench. I'm looking at the stats now. And once you got into the team, you sort of kept your spot. You got a couple of assists. You got your goal. What's it like, that lifestyle? Training every day, playing every week in front of a decent-sized crowd, you know, in the USL Championship. Is it something you wake up every morning and you still, you know, it's a bit of a fairy tale still, a little
5: bit? Yeah, I mean, that's something I try to do a lot, is to look back at where I was. And even if I look back today, today is, what, May 29th? I wasn't in Charlotte, because I arrived in Charlotte May uh, June 6th. So I was yep. in so a year ago I was I was still in Miami didn't know what was going to be of my future At times it is uh, surreal I mean especially now I was talking about it with one of my teammates who got signed around the same time that I did last year and we were just talking about how you know it's tough to get used to take because now we have to take our cleats to training or take our clothes come home and wash it and we're also not training on our usual complex we're training at another one where it's like away from the public you know stuff like that. And it's tough to get used to, you know, taking your clothes, not showering right after training, you know, maybe not eating right after training, uh, which is kind of like what was happening at Soldiers, you know. Mm-hmm. So I still remind myself every day, you know, like I'm one of the lucky few who has been able to become a professional because there's been millions of people in the world that have tried to become professional. So I do try to, you know, stay humble and, you know, and just keep working hard because that's what at the end of the day got me here.
3: about
1: Miami what's you miss most everything
5: I'm not going to lie <laughs> everything um, but the thing that I miss most is the I guess the people and then also the beach <laughs> I miss the beach <laughs> I'm three hours away from the beach and that's tough
1: yeah yeah well we're not allowed on the beach ourselves down here We think we've got to wait a couple more days before we're allowed back on Master Academy did they have a good team or were you by far and away the best player there
5: <laughs> <laughs> no it was, uh, we, had a, we had a decent sc- I mean I when you compare it to high school level, because there's a big difference between mm-hmm. high school, club, even amateur, and then the pros. When you compare it to high school level, yeah, it was a it was a good squad, especially my sophomore year, which was when I started playing high school soccer. That squad was really good, and we ended up actually beating Gulliver Prep, which had Kendall Academy boys, so they were academy players. They trained year round in academy. They played for Gulliver, so and they were back to back state champs when we beat them. You know, so wow, yeah, we did have a good squad. It's not me just talking,
1: you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for those not um, from this part of uh, the world, the Mass Academy is a maritime and science uh, technology academy, which is on uh, Key Biscayne, uh, just off the coast of Miami. Is that because you lived in that part of town, Valentin, or did you have an interest in uh, maritime sciences? No, I was the closest one to my house. Closest one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this season, hopefully, we can get the USL back up and running again. Um, You've you taught that you're quite close to the squad now. Uh, how good do you think Charlotte Independents are this season? playoffs
5: our goal is obviously you know get into playoffs that's that's the first thing and I think I mean I've never really lived that experience but I think once you get into playoffs you know it's just like in the Champions League it's just like Libertadores World Cup every game is a whole different world you know so I think that's how it'd be if we if we were to make it into playoffs but but yeah playoffs for sure and then we'll we'll see from there
1: do you think since you've you've gone this way do you think that there is now this pathway for players to come up through the lower leagues rather than having to go to college you know the college option was always usually the best option but now you know you can get into a good UPSL MPSL team do you think that's a good thing that we're starting to move a little bit in that way in the US
5: yeah it's definitely I think something positive because you know there's you guys have been to a lot of the UPSL games down in South Florida and that's only a little part of the United States of the UPSL you know and you guys have definitely seen talent so you could say you know these guys could maybe make a step you know, forward and, and, you know, take their talents to another part and become better. And something I've thought about a lot is, you know, hopefully I I have a long, successful career and I'm able to, I guess, shed light on how there is talent beyond college, you know, uh, beyond all the academies. Because I never played academy, for example, either. I only play club, you know. So... So yeah,
1: for sure. Hopefully, hopefully they do take that route. I don't want to, I don't want out your age, but you're still nineteen. You're twenty now, Valentin.
5: No, twenty. I'll be twenty-one in a month. So
1: if you're twenty-one in a month, I can. Well, you can find you've, you've already knocked Miami FC out of uh, the U.S. Open Cup. You can't even have a drink to celebrate it yet. So uh, yeah, I have, have to send you some beer tokens up so you can have one on me. Um, Valentin, great to catch up. Great to talk to you. Really happy that you're kicking on up in Charlotte. Best of luck when the season gets going, and um. Don't beat Miami FC again. That's all I ask. That's the number one question <laughs> I was looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, me as well. I've talked to a couple of other guys because I've been talking to people from South Florida. And there's, uh, there's one other guy playing in the... No, there's two more playing in the USL Championship i talked to. Frank Lopez, who's over mm-hmm. at OKC Energy now. And this kid, Schneider-Borgelin, up at uh, Philly Union 2. So hopefully when we get the fixture of this back out, we'll be able to have a little you know, little catch up with some of you. But appreciate your time, Valentin. Thank you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you, you too.
2: All right, Valentin, Cybella, uh, again, thanks so much for the time and, and the chat with Lee. Um, such an interesting figure. I, I think every community that cares about soccer sometimes has these, these names that stick that you remember for, for just com- coming seemingly out of nowhere. Although Lee, you were very early on the Valentine Savella train, uh, in terms yeah. of his ability and skill, but, but what a performance from him in that open cup and, and his ability to, to get from lower level soccer, South Florida to a, a really nice spot, uh, is quite an inspiration.
1: It absolutely is. And uh, again, there is another sort of thing that is true about soccer. A lot of people, they can look at a player instantly and they can sort of tell if they're a good player or not. A lot of scouts, you know, they only need to look at a player. Yeah, you learn more about a player the more you look at them. But you can tell straight away. The first time I saw that young man play, it was was head and shoulders above everyone else in the field. And that's in the soccer soldiers as well, who've got ex-pros in their team and that sort of thing. When he's... When he's on form and he's playing well, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a bit unstoppable. And um, I'm not surprised he's, uh, he's, found, uh, he's found his feet in the USL. Um, he's taken that opportunity really well. Like he's, uh, he's a key member of that Charlotte Independent squad. And as you can tell from the talk with him, it's through working hard, determination, yeah, having the talent. But if you don't match that with a work ethic and uh, you know, all the other things that go along with becoming an elite athlete, and you're never going to get anywhere. So it's, uh, it has, yeah, as you say, Matt, I sort of discovered him and now he's playing somewhere. It's a little bit of a, <laughs> a vindication of my talent spotting. But he's, again, he's just like an intelligent young man, just loves playing the game. And um, I'm really interested to see what will happen over the next couple of years. And I hope that I don't have to watch him beat Miami FC again this year or any <laughs> <Yeah>. year. <laughs> Once it's enough, Valentin, thank you.
3: You know, it's funny, Charlotte owes you some discovery fees, clearly. But all, all kidding aside, um, it's, I, I love the question that they asked him when he got there. When, and you asked him about that backpass. you know, what's going through your mind? He goes, you know, they asked me when I got here, what was going through my mind? And, and, and the answer is nothing, really. I just kind of instincts took over. And it's, it's really funny to hear that because it's amazing when you look at that goal, um, and you can watch the highlights of it on YouTube without a doubt, more than likely, worst case scenario. I'm sure there's going to be some kind of ESPN rip up there. But it seemed so premeditated, if you will, right? Very cerebral. He sees the back pass and he just goes full throttle. And then he's able to touch it on the keeper. And, he, and he, the whole time he's like, I didn't realize what I was
1: doing. Just instincts completely took over. But again, that's just having a calm head. A lot of, a lot of lesser players would panic in those sort of situations. You know, you can't let those moments get on top of you. And uh, yeah, to keep, to keep calm and slot that goal away was uh, quite the moment. As I said, we were, we, we were watching that at a little watch party that we had. And uh, it was good to see. It was good to see him score that goal. But yeah, it's just you, you get the opportunities and you have to take them. You can't be scared of the opportunities when they come along. And that's the same in anything, sports, soccer, life, you know. Taking the opportunity. Took the opportunity on the field and off the field.
3: Let's go ahead
2: and bring this one in for a landing, Matt, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we we do want to thank all of our guests. I want to thank you guys for some excellent interviews that you conducted uh, really over the last uh, more than a month. I mean, time is kind of bleeding into an uh, indefinite <laughs> construct, but I think it's been about a month where we've gotten some really good perspectives on South Florida's influence on the soccer world. And I think it's really important for us to understand – you know, as we look to whatever the next generation of professional soccer is here, semi-pro soccer, you know, all, all of that. Understanding all that 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 hodgepodge stuck together down here is really important, uh, and I think you guys did a very good job with that. Uh, we do yeah, plan jump on in there. just,
1: to, yeah, just sure. to jump in there, Matt. Obviously, I want to say that is
2: probably probably the last one, probably the final
1: episode in the series. But I think it was you just mentioned it there, Matt. It's been interesting to have this little pause, this little breath, because it's usually non-stop in Miami. You know, Mm. maybe a little bit in the winter, but it's the club teams here start. Then the ICC rolls through town. Then there's, you know, there might be international friendlies here. And then the end of the year, you know, you get a little pause there maybe. But it was nice to just talk to people who are playing the game. We have a lot of people around here who have opinions, who are supporters of the game or who are bankrolling the game, but the players are so important. And I think that it does highlight the advantage of this part of the world for young talent, men and women, boys and girls, trying to make their way. And and that's a really good thing. And maybe there's a few lessons in there for people who were, you know, thinking about making it. But for me, it was just enjoyable to talk to these people. And all the journeys were a little bit different, you know, from Nico being out, playing for Kilmarnock on learn from Q- QPR, John Lewis being a they were full international for the U.S. men's national team. And then the ladies we spoke to as well, you know, Fish, Ava, um, Mandy Freeman and Bridget, to get their perspective as well. It's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a really fascinating, eye-opening thing. I like to think I know a lot about the game, but I learned a lot that I didn't know before. It was a really good, uh, really good experience.
2: I, I found... Go ahead. go ahead, Omar, go
3: ahead. I was going to say, I think in closing, you really, you do realize kind of the hotbed that South Florida has been for such a long time and you've seen it develop it uh, over the years and you see it only its growth really and how much more it still has to go. But if we see the makeup of SARS that we have now and the ones that we interviewed and the up and comers, it really wants you to think about how much is left how much higher, what, what potentials can actually be reached. And now with an MLS team and, and, and likely an academy, you know, an MLS supported academy coming through South Florida, you know, the, the talent is only going to be identified faster, quicker, and and, and even more efficiently and, and develop it, you know, to grander scales.
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, in my experience of covering sports, you know, as a reporter, the, best conversations you get with athletes they are farther away from the field that you know you can go talk to them after a game and it's all well and good but they're usually so mentally and physically spent and they're in a mode of team 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 that that you usually don't get very much interesting you're able to kind of separate them from the field a little bit they tend to be a bit more reflective and 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 open and I think that's what we saw with your conversations both of you is athletes who have been kind of forcibly separated from their fields for a good long while. And so they have kind of the ability to kind of clear their minds a little bit and, and really open up about their larger experiences. And, and yeah, I think this is the beginning of a story, right? Not the end. Um, how these athletes are going to rebound from this unexpected time off, uh, how they're going to be able to mentally focus, get back into games, how they're going to approach, you know, empty venue games and uh, neutral site games and all these things. There's a lot more to kind of explore. it's good to get these perspectives now and kind of have a you know a, an oral history document, mm-hmm. a primary source document to look back at when we talk about the history of this sport, particularly the sport down here. So, uh, my final further, thought, my
1: final thought, Matt. Before without yes, final go time, ahead.
2: ado,
1: yes. um, so just to, to wrap up my other thought, you know, we're not perfect down here, and yes, it's very very good. But for instance, when I talk to Mandy, there are still some barriers here for people who. You know, maybe can't afford the elite academies. The academies are great. A lot of those academies you have to pay to play for. So, mm. you know, we can still do more around here. And again, you've got more space in Broward up in, uh, in, in West Palm You know, to kick a ball around. I think we need to do more in the urban areas, you know, downtown Miami, things like that. You know, I live in this part of town, there's not, there's not a lot of places where kids can go around and kick a ball for free. You know, you've either got to get onto yeah. a 6 v 6 field or get into an academy. Um, so, you know, I think a, a few more safe spaces for people to play with there uh, would be a good thing. But uh but yeah, no. We're doing all right down there. I kind of wish I started my career here now. Maybe I'd have been maybe maybe I could have been a star. <laughs> <laughs> well
2: said. Well said. <laughs> yes. So uh now without further ado, uh I again I wanna thank Lee and Omar for their enlightening conversations and our guests as well. Um Lee, you can find at Lee uh, underscore eFans on Twitter. Uh, Omar, you can find it at Mubayad11 on Twitter. I'm at Matthew S. Bunch on Twitter. And you can find all of our stuff at Magic City Soccer on Facebook, Twitter, Magic City Soc on Instagram, and MagicCity.Soccer on your internet browser. So for Omar, for Lee, I'm Matthew Bunch. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we hope to hear... I hope to speak to you again soon. And until next time, uh, go Miami soccer from here to all around the world.